Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com Coffee and talk Just finished a nice coffee I'm standing outside the coffee shop truck just drove by. I am in the city. Osaka, Japan. Osaka City. Another humid summer day. Cloudy today. Kind of a gray sky. As usual, hot, but not super hot now because of the clouds, but humid. This is the middle of the kind of Japanese rainy season, which is middle summer, July. It's probably the wettest part of the year in Japan. And in fact, we just had some flooding. You may have seen on the news that this last week there were some very large floods in western Japan, which is the part of Japan that we are in. Unfortunately, some people died. It was was quite serious floods. Not raining today, but humid. This time of year, just very humid, very sticky, as we say in America. Kind of sticky weather. It means it's hot and humid. Your clothes stick to your body. But I love you so much that I'm standing outside recording this. Even in the sticky weather. Fake, fakeness. What is fake? What does this word fake mean in English? Fake. It's an adjective. It describes something. Fake. Fake means not real. Right? It's very simple. Fake means not real. Something that is not real. And we are living in a matrix... You've seen the movie, right? You've seen the movie? Well, the movie's kind of a metaphor, right? The, it's a sci-fi movie, but if you think a little deeply about the movie, it's trying to tell us something. It's giving us a message, right? There's a famous line in that movie where Morpheus, one of the heroes, says, You're living in a prison, but you can't see the prison. It's a prison for your mind. That's the message of the movie. And of course, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's trying to tell us as the audience something. That we are living in a prison. That we are living in a prison we cannot see. It's not a prison of bars. It's not a prison of walls. It's a prison for our mind. It's a prison of ideas. It's a prison of fears. It's a prison of lies. 
And I think that message has a lot of truth in it. I think this is the fundamental, meaning the, the main, the most important issue, problem with education today, everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, every country that I know of, the education, it's not only is it bad, meaning it's not effective, that it wastes a lot of time, not only are the methods designed to make the students little wage slaves, but also the education is fake. It is increasingly fake, meaning not real, meaning lies, meaning they are teaching absolute lies in school. Now, this was true when I was a kid. I woke up in high school and realized this in high school. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. In high school, I was really into wargaming. Into meaning I really liked war games. My friends and I, we played all these war games. They were these kind of tabletop games, right? Maybe you know the game Risk. That's not... That's kind of a war game. It's very, very simple. But, uh... So it's, but that's, it's kind of that idea, right? But there, there are games that would be based on some kind of um, military history. Maybe a battle or maybe a war. So, like, I remember one, my favorite game was called Russian Campaign. Russian Campaign, a really cool game. Very good game. And it's a game about the... As, as you might guess, about the Russian campaign, the Russian front of World War II. So the Germans against the Russians. And so you could have you could have two or more players with this game. If you had two players, we usually had two players. So one side would play the Russians and the other side would play the Germans. And very well-designed game. Very interesting game. Really cool. Lots of strategy. Makes you, you know, a lot, you have to really think... I always liked playing the Russians. I usually played the Russians. They were my f- favorite side. I liked to play the Russians in that game. And my friends liked to play the Germans. So it was, it was a good match. <laughs> there, were, there's, there was one. I can't remember the name of it. What, what was it? There was a one about the Napoleonic Wars that was really good too. Oh, I can't remember the name of the game now. But really, again, well-designed, right? So it was all about the Napoleonic Wars, and you could, it could have, for that game, you, there could be a lot of different players, right? So somebody could play the French, Napoleon. Uh, you could, somebody might play the Spanish. So another player might play the British, the Prussians, you know, the Austrians, the Russians, whatever. Really cool game. I need to look up that game. You know, actually, as I think about this now, I realize I missed those games. They were, they were so much fun because they're challenging. You know, they're interesting. It's kind of like playing chess. So probably why people like chess. I, I never liked chess myself because um, I don't hate chess, but I, I never got into it so much because for me, chess was a little too abstract. And I think I like the war games better because they had this connection to history. And I've always been very interested in history. I'm trying to think of some other games I played that were really good. Oh, there was one called Caesar Caesar at Elysia. I'm not sure if that was the official name of the game, but it was the Elysia Battle. So it was the Romans led by Julius Caesar 
against the Gauls, led by Vercingetorix. It was the final battle of that big campaign. You can read about it, actually. Julius Caesar wrote a book about it. So Julius Caesar has a whole book of commentaries on the Gallic Wars. And the Gauls were the group that were in what is now France. And the Romans invaded and crushed them. <laughs> um, and he wrote a whole book about it. So it's kind of cool to read about it. And then he, he talks about Elysia and the Battle of Elysia. And then these game designers created a game. So once again... It's another game that we could do two or more players, but at least one player plays the Romans and the other player plays the Gauls. Fascinating game. That was also a cool one. Um, there was one called... Uh, what was it called? Something Third Reich. Basically World War II, where you could play all of the European campaign of World War II. So you could be the... You could play the French, the British, eventually the Americans, the Russians, the Germans, the Italians, whatever, right? And, and the area of... It was kind of a large area. So a more strategic game, obviously. Anyway, lots and lots and lots of these games. And I was really into them in high school especially. And I played lots of these games. We used to play them all the time. We would be down... I had a room in the bottom of our house, the basement. So kind of a little bit separate. So my parents would let my friends come over and kind of stay late. So we would stay up late nights playing those games, especially on the weekends. Lots of fun. You know, mentally challenging because there was a strategy game and competitive. But the cool thing about it was that it got me even more interested in history because, you know, as I played the game... I would get interested in that time period in history. So playing Russian campaign, I got really interested in the Russian front of World War II, something that in America they didn't teach about very much in history. We didn't learn much about the Russian front. It was always the Western front and, you know, the heroic Americans and British against... You know, Rommel and, and on the battles of the West, we knew all about that, but didn't learn anything about the Eastern Front. So I started reading up about the Eastern Front. I started reading uh, strategy books by famous uh, World War II strategists, military historians. And then because of like the, the, the Roman games, I got interested in Roman history and Roman military history. And that led to me getting interested in Greek military history and history in general. So I started doing all this extra reading myself about history. And this is where I woke up about the fake education I was getting. Because I started to realize, and I would go to my history classes, and they would teach things that were 100% wrong. Lies. Just straight lies. Straight propaganda, straight lies from the textbooks. Right there in the textbook, a lie. And then my teachers, they were clueless. They didn't know anything. They didn't think about it. They just, whatever's in the textbook is, is like, you know, their, their religion. Like it's their Bible. So they wouldn't question it at all. And I would start questioning it, being a 
rebellious teenager. <laughs> I would start raising my hand and ask, wait, what about this? This isn't right. You know, and then I'd sometimes get in arguments with the teachers and the teachers were so close-minded. They, and it w- became very clear to me, very, very, very obvious that these teachers, these history teachers, actually knew very little about history. They had gone to college, but they had not really learned much about history. They weren't even that curious about history except for the official propaganda and lies. They didn't question anything. And they didn't like anyone else to be questioning. And so I started to wake up and I started to realize, wait, they're just lying to us. They're completely lying to us or they're just wrong. They're teaching us wrong information. It was probably a mix of laziness and wrongness and, and then lies. I think the textbooks are just lies, lies and propaganda. Because somebody designed those books and wrote those books. Those aren't accidents. And then I began to think more, well, if they're lying to us in history class, if they're lying to us in our political science classes, what else are they lying about? (laughs) You know, you start to realize. And I think this set the stage early on for me to start seeing the fakeness seeing through and that meant at a pretty early time I started to also see the lies of the fake news you know fake news is becoming a common term now more people are waking up to the fact that you are being lied to lied to the news is fake CNN is fake the BBC is fake right We know, for example, that the CIA in the United States has a huge program where they pay reporters, where they pay so-called journalists to tell their lies, to to tell their propaganda. It's a huge program. It came out in the news a little bit, and then, of course, they, they... did their best to hide it, but it's, 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 you can publicly read about it. So the news is fake. Much of our education is fake. Do some research about science. We think, oh, science though, not science. Science can't be fake. Science is mostly fake. Much of, especially in the, the United States, much of medical science is fake. Pharmaceutical, meaning drugs, fake. So anything with, that's called social science, like psychology, sociology, political science fake mostly fake and now you're starting to see if you look if you search for it if you do the research you'll find all these studies now are finding that and all this analysis is finding that most of the research published in science journals is fake, meaning it cannot be reproduced. Someone will do a study saying uh, coffee is bad for you. Coffee causes cancer, something like that. And then, oh, and then they put it in the news. But then what happens is somebody goes back and they try to repeat that study, see if they can get the same result. And they repeat the study and they don't get the same result. They can't get the same result. They get a completely different result. And then they repeat it a third time and they get a different result again. 
So it means the first study was fake. It was designed badly, perhaps, maybe. Maybe it was innocent, maybe just bad design. I think there's a lot of laziness in studies, research studies. But the other thing is that a lot of researchers just cheat. They just lie. They fake the numbers. They use statistical tricks. Some of them just create fake data, fake information. And what we're finding is that the majority, over half, and in some sciences, much more than half of these studies are fake, are wrong. They can't be trusted. And so now you have to be very, very careful. Because if you combine the fake science with fake news, that's a dangerous combination. It means anytime you see in the news, CNN or the BBC or your, even your local news, anytime they talk about a study, a research study, a research study finds that, and they say, you know, coffee will kill you or whatever, you should not trust that. You absolutely should not trust it. It's very likely that it's fake. Why is the news pushing that study? Why is the news pushing that result? Because it fits a story they want to tell. It fits a belief they want you to have. I guarantee the journalists do not carefully examine these studies to see if they are strong science or not. They don't care. Any kind of political news, fake. Don't trust it. Anything coming from these large corporate news sources. So in America, that's CNN, ABC, the New York Times. Fake, 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 fake. So what to do is our next question. What do we do? So we're starting to wake up especially younger generations. I'd say my generation and younger generations who have been living with the internet for a long time, we really don't trust the fake news anymore. We don't trust fake education anymore. My, sadly, like my parents' generations, they still do somewhat. Some of them do. You know, it's kind of sad because I, I think they grew up in a time where they were taught to just trust the authority, trust the leader, trust the guy on the news who's telling you something. He wouldn't lie to us, right? So uh, some, not all, but some people of my parents' generation, I've noticed they're, they're even when they get information that shows that the news is fake, that shows they're being lied to, they still somehow next time will still believe the news. I just don't understand it. It's like, they, it's like nothing you can do can break the spell. They were just taught at such a young age to trust the authority, trust the professor, trust the leader, trust the news. It's a kind of a childish viewpoint, really. We use the word in English, naive. I think it comes from French. Naive means foolishly innocent. Foolishly believing and trusting. Foolishly trusting. Naive. Naive. It's not a good thing to be naive. So what do we do? Is the next question. We have, we're, we're surrounded by fake education. We're surrounded by fake news. We're surrounded by fake information, especially anything coming from large companies. 
what to do. How do you find the truth? Well, step one to find the truth is you have to start searching a wide variety of sources. Too many people only watch the big billion dollar company news or newspapers. That's their only source of information. That's a big mistake. Big mistake. You've got to search out. It's the small blogs. It's the small YouTube channels. It's the small social media. It's the independent books. It's the small independent people who are digging in and finding the truth and sharing the truth. So you've got to start looking for a wide variety Right? And, you can, and it can't just be one, right? Because you can't trust any one... No one person can find the truth about everything. Okay? They're going to be wrong sometimes. Even if someone is... Let's say there's one individual with a blog who's really trying to be truthful. And they're sharing lots of good information, but they're going to be wrong sometimes. They, they're not perfect. So you need to get a large variety of sources. Okay, it requires some effort. It requires some work. This is back again to this idea of being active instead of passive. Too many people are raised to be passive. Oh, I'll just turn on the the big, you know, CNN and just watch and just accept what they say. That's passive. That's passive. No, you have to actively search out information. Search out different sources. And a variety, that means read lots of different kinds of sources from lots of different kinds of people. So you do that. You start getting lots and lots and lots of information. And including, you know, like read the stuff that seems a little crazy. Right? This... The, here's the thing. Like there's this whole thing about being of conspiracies and oh my God, no, no, that's just crazy. But what we're finding now is... <sighs> There are people who, 10 years ago, everybody said, they're crazy, they're crazy, that's crazy, that's a conspiracy. And now, 10 years later, we're finding out they were right. They were telling the truth. They had found the truth. What used to be crazy, we are now finding out is the truth. Oftentimes, the crazy stuff, the weird stuff, is the truth. It's the stuff that the big media tries to hide. So, don't be afraid of crazy. Don't be afraid of weird. You should read that and listen to that also. Again, wide variety of independent sources. That's your first step. That's for any topic. Education, news, history, anything. Step two is the hardest one. The one most people want to avoid. You have to think. You have to think about all these sources. You have to ask questions of yourself. Hmm, could this be correct? Is this rational? Does this fit with what's happening in the world, with actual actions? You have to examine all this information you're getting. You have to compare it. Compare one source to another source to another source. You have to notice. One of the key things, one of the key ways to start finding more truth is to look at actions and results 
not words. I'll give you an example. Politics. Never, ever, ever trust anything politicians say. It doesn't matter if you like them or hate them. Okay, they say lots of stuff. Okay, they're, they're constantly saying stuff. Sometimes they lie. Sometimes they say things just because they need to get votes. Sometimes they want to say the truth, but they can't because the truth will shock people too much. So you can't trust what they say. And this is true of uh, the news, is true of most things. Don't trust words. Examine, look at actions, look at what actually happens, right? So let's say if you're examining some political thing, don't look at what people are saying, look at what they're doing, look at what is actually happening. And this will help you to start figuring out what information that you're reading or listening to is possibly true, is close to the truth, and what information seems like it's not close to the truth. If you only pay attention to words, you'll be totally confused because everybody's saying lots of different things. How do you know which one's true? Well, you look at the real world results, the actions, what's actually happening. Not what people are just saying. Another way to examine information is to look for primary sources. Primary means first. Primary sources. First sources. So let's look at history. Go back to our example of history. How did I know my history teachers were lying or wrong? Well, for example, let's say about Julius Caesar, I knew they were wrong because I read what Julius Caesar himself wrote, right? That's the, prime, that's the first source. It's not somebody talking about Julius Caesar and their opinions about him. It's him <laughs> directly writing about what he did. Now, yes, we can debate, was Caesar telling the truth or not? We have to decide that too. Of course, Caesar tries to make tried <laughs> to make himself look good, so we can't necessarily trust everything Julius Caesar wrote about himself, but we can trust Julius Caesar much more than some history professor from, uh, you know, Berkeley, California, right? So the closer you get to the primary source, the direct source, the better your information is. It's the same for politics. If you want to know what someone believes, you know, like a lot of people will say bad stuff about a politician. How do you know if it's true or not? A lot of people only look at the news or the quotes from the news. Well, instead, go and actually listen. Listen to what the person actually said. Often you will find out that what they said, if you listen to the whole thing they said, it's not actually what the news is telling you. The news is taking some tiny little part to make them look bad or to make them look good. Depends on what they're trying to do. But either way, if you listen to the whole thing, the whole speech, for example, you get a different idea. And then if you look at their actions, you might get an even more different idea. But see, all of this takes some mental work. You've got to think. You have to analyze. You have to compare. You have to find 
more primary sources of information. I think one reason people don't do this more, or they try to avoid this, I think one reason so many people still just want to turn on CNN and oh, just tell me what to think, is because a lot of people are afraid of uncertainty, or they're uncomfortable with uncertainty. So here's the thing in this world, you must learn to be comfortable with uncertainty. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know 100%. I'm not sure. That's a good thing to say. That's a smart thing to say. That's an intelligent thing to say because we can't know everything. So again, about, say, the political situation. Of course you can't know everything. You're not the president, right? You're not the vice president. So you really don't know. None of us really know exactly what's happening. We don't know. They don't tell us everything. There's so many secrets. What's really happening? It's hard to know. You can try to find out. You go to primary sources. You do information. You, you, know, you, you do research to find the best information possible. You get some ideas in your head where I think this might be true or maybe that's true. Maybe you have a few different ideas. Right? You might think, well, this is possible, and also maybe this is possible, and also maybe this is possible, but I don't know which one is true 100%. I'm not sure. That's fine. Get used to that. You have to learn to accept that. It's this need for certainty all the time that makes people easy to, easy to, easy to lead, I was going to say, but I think easy to fake, easy to trick, easy to control. So you've got to be comfortable with uncertainty in life. I mean, this is, again, the thing with financial freedom. Again, with starting your own business. I think a lot of it is people fear the unknown. They fear the uncertainty. It's just the uncertainty of it. They don't know 100%. Will they succeed or not? Nobody's telling them what to do. Nobody's telling them what to think. Nobody's telling them what they must decide. So things are uncertain. They say, uh, which, what kind of business should I start? Well, no one's going to tell you that. I can't tell you that. Should I, should I do open a car wash? Or should I, um, I don't know, make t-shirts and sell them? I don't know. Which one's the better business? I don't know. Which one? Neither one is better on its own. You can be successful with a car wash and become really rich you can be successful selling t-shirts and become really rich so the question is what's best for you in that example only you can decide and see that's the uncertainty because there's not a clear right answer right it's uncertain which one would be better for you it's uncertain if one of these businesses would succeed or failure fail And that's why people get so scared. Oh, it's uncertain. And people want certainty. They want someone to tell them, do this. And this exactly will happen. But that's not the world we live in. So you have to trust yourself and get comfortable with uncertainty. Seek out. I mean, look for the weird information. Look for the conspiracy, the crazy conspiracy ideas. Read those also. Not only those, but read those also. And then read things that seem more 
quote, normal, and then compare them to what's actually happening in the world, compare them to your own experience in life, and often, often you should just say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. Keep your mind open to several possibilities and just wait and see. Wait and see what happens. And then maybe you'll get more information later and then you can make a better decision. Maybe you get more information later and then you'll know. This is often the case in life. So again, with our starting a business, this is why I tell people, just start a business. Stop waiting around and worrying all the time and hoping and waiting for certainty. You will never get certainty. It will never come. In fact, you will be more uncertain in the beginning. That's the most uncertain time is the beginning. When you start, when you start to get experience, when you get real customers, when you're actually in the game doing it, then you get more certainty. Then you start to find out directly what works and what doesn't. Which ideas are good, which are not. Right? This is exactly what we're talking about with news or education or information. This is also true with business because I know what you're doing. If you're thinking about it, you read lots of books, you think about lots of ideas, but huh, which one's correct? I don't know. I don't know. Is this guy correct? Or is that guy correct? Or is that woman correct? Uh, they're saying different things and you don't know. Is this the best business to start? Or that one? Or that other one? Or this other one? And then you don't make any decisions. You don't take any action because you are stuck in uncertainty and fear. How do you get through that? Number one, keep... You don't have to decide. Don't decide is... is Let's say you read three books about marketing. You, you're going to start a business. You read three books about marketing. And each one has a completely different idea about the best marketing strategy. How do you know which one is the best for you? Which one is true or at least true for you and your business? You don't know. You can think about it, of course. You eventually have to just decide what am I going to do and you just try one of them and then the real world will teach you then you will get results good results or bad results now you will be more certain now you have more experience to make these decisions better decisions Let's say you say, oh, I'm going to try the strategy of book one. You try it and it fails completely and you lose a little bit of money and it doesn't work. Guess what? Now you've got more information. Now you don't have to just trust. So now you can say, well, okay, maybe book two or book three is correct. Maybe one of those is a good way. Now I know book one doesn't work. So then you just, you think about it and you just have to, eventually you have to decide. You'll never know which one's better until you try it so you try book three next and book three you get some success you get some success with the strategies from book three ah you've learned a little more maybe you can look at that strategy maybe you can look at the success and start to figure out why why did the strategy of book three work better than the strategy of book one you're learning yourself not just trusting blindly and then if you're a good business person you will still go ahead and test the strategy from number two 
book number two. And you'll do that and you'll see. Maybe that one also is a little successful. So you compare the success from strategy two and the success from strategy three. Which one was better? Why do you think they worked? What were the strong points, the good points of number two and number three? What was the weak points from number one? Now you can start to create your own strategy your own strategy that works best for you. This is the process, right? This is the active process of figuring out the world of what's true, of what works. You have to be active. I'll give you a political example of something. If you want to read something very interesting politically that seems very weird, like a big conspiracy, go to neonrevolt.com. N-E-O-N-R-E-V-O-L-T dot com. Neon, N-E-O-N, revolt dot com. Just read a super interesting article there. It's a political article. It's about... It's very red pill, again, from the Matrix, right? Neo takes the red pill and he wakes up to the horrible truth. <laughs> of the of the world. Well, Neon Revolt is a super red pill website. A lot of it talks about something called Q. If you know about Q, then well, good for you. You've definitely taken some red pills. If you don't know about Q, then go read it. The first time you read it, if you've never heard of Q before and you go read Neon Revolt, you're probably going to be like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is all craziness. But it's okay. You don't have to accept it or reject it. You just think, well, hmm, it's information. It seems weird. Let's see what happens. That's the way you do it. If you have no evidence, if you have no direct experience or knowledge, then the truly logical thing when you get this kind of information, information that seems strange, is you don't reject it and you don't accept it. That's the smart thing to do. If you don't have enough evidence, if you don't have enough direct experience yourself, if you don't have enough direct knowledge and really know, then you, the smart thing to do is you say, well, hmm. you just consider it. You kind of file it in your brain for later and you wait for more information. Maybe later you get information that will help you make a better decision. Where you, oh, no, this is definitely wrong. Or this looks like it's right. It's correct. Either way, it's that direct information. It's keeping that open mind. And then you go read something else that's completely different. So you go read Neon Revolt, and you read about this whole Q idea, and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Wow, it's amazing. You don't reject it. You don't say, no, it's obviously wrong, because you don't know. But you also don't just accept it, because you probably also don't know. So you just keep there. Well... Who knows? Let's see. Then maybe you go read something else that says, oh, this Q stuff is crazy. It's completely wrong. Again, don't accept or reject that. Just keep the ideas in your mind and then you just wait. Wait. I think we'll, we will all know in a few years whether it's right or wrong. So check it out anyway. It's, it'll open your mind a little. Some crazy stuff. Neonrevolt.com. Now, to remind you, too, that you have already done this with English in a small way with, you know, this speaking of fake education, you know that English 
language education is fake all over the world. How do we know it's fake? Well, because students study English for four years, six years, eight years in school. In many countries, Japan, for example, they start in middle school, three years of English. High school, four more years. They're up to seven. Then they go to university. Two, three, four more years. So nine, ten, eleven years of English. They get out after all of those years. And they can't have a simple, super basic, easy conversation. I mean, come on. It's obvious. The, the whole... English language education is fake. I mean, it, after 11 years, can't have a normal, just a basic, simple conversation? I, come on. That means that it's a complete and total failure. So what are they doing? What are they doing? It's fake. You know it's fake because you had this experience yourself, which is why you came to Effortless English. And probably, maybe in the beginning... You're introduced to effortless English and it's, whoa, this is crazy. He's saying don't study grammar, right? Rule number two, don't study grammar rules. A lot of people think that's crazy, crazy, crazy. They can't believe it. They're shocked by rule number two. What? No, no, no. No, motorcycle. I don't like those... Harley motorcycles too loud. Anyway, but right, people, a lot of people. I believe me, so many people think that's just a crazy, crazy rule. And the other one, learn with your ears, not your eyes. A lot of people think that's crazy. And then these weird mini, these strange mini stories and point of view stories. They seem so simple. They're kind of, they're funny, they're silly, they're stories about animals and stuff. What? This is all weird. This can't be true. No, everybody in school tells me I have to use textbooks and study grammar. All the professors say that's what you must do. All the big experts say that. And yet, we know it's fake. We know it's fake because we can, when we look at the real world results... It's a failure. The education system is a total failure for English language. Any language, really, but especially English language. And so you took a red pill yourself, right? You woke up to the truth of English learning, which is why you're listening to Effortless English now. And as you tried the rules that I taught you, don't study grammar, focus on listening, learn with your ears lots of repetition, all of these things. As you tried them for a few months, you saw, whoa, they worked. This is the truth. This is real. Right? You woke up like Neo in the Matrix. You woke up to the truth. You can do this in all parts of your life. And I encourage you to do it. We all need to do it. It's, it's a process. And never ending process of waking up.
stretch your mind, open your mind, look for independent sources. And most of all, test, experiment, test in your own life. Don't be afraid just to try things. Don't be afraid of uncertainty. Constantly try experiments, test things, even things that seem crazy. Sometimes they will be crazy. Sometimes they won't work. And sometimes they will work. Sometimes they will be very, very successful. Very, very effective. Completely true. Take the red pill and open your mind. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com EffortlessEnglishClub.com Lots of love to you. Bye for now.